After the sermon, we'll respond with Psalm 66, stanzas 1, 2, and 6. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, this sermon is part of a series that has been running in Providence on uh, the combination of the Gospel of Luke and then the book of Acts. And since this congregation hasn't been a part of that journey through those books, it's good for us this morning to have a little bit of a recap about what's happened so far in this book of the Bible. So we want to note that the book of Acts is meant to be sort of a sequel to the book of Luke. In the very beginning of the gospel of Luke, Luke records his intention for, uh, for writing this, for recording this. He says that this is a record of all that Jesus began to do and teach. And we can understand Acts to be the continuing work of that, the continuing work of Jesus through his apostles, and this point is very important, the work of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Luke is all that Jesus began to do and teach, and the book of Acts is all that Jesus continues to do, especially by the power of his Spirit. So after Jesus ascends into heaven, he pours out his Spirit upon the church, and he is working. He is shaping her into what she is now able to to be in the sight of God, a Spirit-filled community, a community redeemed by the blood of Christ, and a people that has been renewed for a life of holiness. And so in the first chapters of Acts... We're able to see the growth of this new community of believers. And, as the, and the, as the apostles are preaching, they're performing signs and wonders. They're teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the, the people are beginning to live this out truly and sincerely. They're able to demonstrate what it means to really be able to love God and love each other. They're learning how to truly keep the law of God because of the reality of the work of Christ through His Spirit. Again, they're people who know their redemption from sin. They are now being renewed in this life. And this is, this is the reality that, that Paul teaches in Romans 6. The reality that you are united to Christ, that your old nature is crucified and your new life is raised with Him. And we're able to live as God calls us to live. And they're demonstrating this, especially in the way that they care for each other. This is mentioned a number of times here in the opening chapters of Acts. They're committed to serving each other in love. We see this in chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. The the people are devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to fellowship, devoted to breaking bread, devoted to prayer. They share their possessions. They provide for each other. And they worship together, praising God. And this is having an influential effect on the people who witness these things. The the church is displaying the power of God by living faithfully according to His Word. 
And so the work of proclaiming the gospel continues. That was in the, the opening uh, verses of our text. The, the apostles are testifying to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we arrive at our text, we have a similar report here of the unity, this beautiful unity that's in the church. But we also have here the first sort of internal problem within the church. It's a problem of the sincerity of heart in certain members of this congregation. And the Holy Spirit is, is effective. The Holy Spirit is effective in His people at this time. He is at work, and we see the responses to His work in our text. And so we'll note those three responses this morning. So our theme this morning is that the Holy, the Holy Spirit's work demands a response. And we'll see those three responses. First, we'll see how true faith is demonstrated. We'll see, secondly, how hypocrisy is exposed and we'll see in the third place how fear and reverence is produced. So first, we'll see how true faith is demonstrated. Well, our text begins in this way. By pointing out that all of the believers were of one heart and mind. They are, they are one. They are united together and they are truly living this out. And Luke describes what this looks like. He says there that no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. They shared absolutely everything they had. And this, this oneness and commitment to one another, this is something that, that Paul is, is praying for and encouraging uh, the Philippian church to strive for. We can see this in Philippians chapter 2, and he words it in this way. Paul says there, if you have any encouragement from being united to Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. That's what life within the church looks like when the people are living according to the Spirit of God. What a beautiful thing. And he explains that, that this is what it truly means to follow the example of Jesus Christ, the one who gave himself in the fullest way for the sake of those whom he loves. And so this is what we see here. The church is filled with the Spirit of Christ, they're governed by the Spirit of Jesus Christ Himself. They have true unity with each other because of that unity that they have with Christ, and they are living it out. And Luke draws our attention here to how that plays out specifically in, in this certain way. It plays out through their generosity with their possessions. Now we should note here, I think this is important, we should note that this is not an, an argument against having private property, you know, being able to call something your own and be entrusted with, with that. Peter makes that very clear in subsequent verses. But the point here is that pe the people are acting as if 
That's not the case. The people are acting as if their possessions are not, in fact, their own. Nobody considered what was rightfully theirs to be, to be something that they needed to cling to. It wasn't that important to them. Again, this is exactly what Paul is talking about in Philippians 2. Just as, just as our Savior, our Lord, and the one whom we ought to imitate, just as Christ set aside what was rightfully His in order to empty Himself for your benefit, so we all are called to think others more worthy than ourselves of all of these things. More worthy of ourselves than our time. Others are more worthy than ourselves of our love, our attention, all of our resources. This is what it truly means to be Christ-like in our hearts for each other. And this is the basis for acting this way. Who we are in Christ. That's the basis. As well as the, the fact of the matter, which is that although we have personal property, we have belongings, the fact is that the whole earth is the Lord's. Everything belongs to Him and everything in it. And we are simply stewards of those things. They're not really ours, but they're simply in our care for a little while. And so the basis, the reason for acting this way is because of Christ Jesus and his work. Let's chip away at this. Let's chip away at this. Why are these people so especially compelled to live this out? Why are they so willing to to act so drastically with their possessions. They're selling, they're selling houses. They're selling fields and they're just giving it away. Why would they be okay with doing this? This is, this is pretty huge, isn't it? Well, the key here is verse 33. Verse 33 of our text. Acts 4, verse 33. With great power... The apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. That is what's making this happen. Jesus Christ is being proclaimed with great power. And the people are filled with this holy and godly gratitude because of the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of what's being preached to them, because of what they're hearing about the work of God for them, they're overcome with gratitude and they, over, and they, and they open the floodgates of thanks and their generosity is just abounding. This is a pattern. This is the pattern that we see in the history of the people of God. Those are two portions of scripture that we read this morning, first from First Chronicles and then from Second Chronicles. The first one was about the, the preparations for building the temple of God, and the second was, was after the people had, had celebrated the Passover for the first time in, in so long, and they 
were so powerfully reminded of God's provision for them, of his care for them, the salvation that he gives them. And this is the people's response, right? The people come to know in a powerful way, once again, the goodness of God. There's this renewal, in a way, of God's grace. There's this renewed realization of his presence among them, and they respond with thanks, with with praise, and with abundant offerings. It was shown so powerfully in in the preparations for the temple The people are seeing what what God is doing among them. God has established his servant David and his descendants as the royal line. The people are enjoying safety and prosperity. This is somewhat of a a golden age in the kingdom of, of Israel. The ruling of David and his son Solomon. They're experiencing the blessings of God in such richness. And worship is at such a height. And the people respond with gratitude. Same thing in 2 Chronicles 31. The The people are humbled by, they acknowledge the miracle of grace that despite the way that they have lived, despite the neglect of the worship of the Lord, despite neglecting each other, God lives with them. And again, there's this renewal of commitment, and it shows itself in enormous generosity. And this is what's going on here in our text in, in this incredibly powerful way. Maybe you took note of how many times Luke used a certain word in our text. He uses the word great. Great. All kinds of things are happening greatly. 4 verse 33. With great power, the apostles are giving their testimony to the resurrection. And same word, same verse. Great grace was upon them all. 5 verse 5. Great fear happens when Ananias dies. Yeah, great fear came upon all who heard it. 5 verse 11, great fear comes upon those comes upon the whole church and upon all who heard such things. This is all the same word. The same word is the the Greek word behind it is is mega or megale. That's we use that that word in English sometimes too. If something is mega something, it means it's really 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 that thing, right? This is the beginning of this mega proclamation, mega proclamation of the risen and triumphant Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is doing mega things in the church, and the people are mega affected by all of this, by everything that they see and hear. The the grace and the mercy of God is for them. This is what's being promised to them. It's being proclaimed with great power. Jesus Christ lives and he reigns. He's won salvation for you. And this new life and peace with God, it's yours. It's yours as a free gift. This is the proclamation today. This is the proclamation this morning. It's the same wonderful news 
the same message that was proclaimed 2,000 years ago. The news hasn't changed. This is the same message this morning. This is the most wonderful thing that, that any of us could ever hear. Jesus Christ lives and reigns, and his grace is for you. This is the reason for everything that we do today as the church. You are the people of God who have been saved from complete ruin. You have been given life. You have been given eternal life with God. And you're living even today, today, the beginning of that eternal life. You experience every day God's blessings being showered upon you in every way. So we are thankful people. We are grateful people. How many ways can we possibly show this? Verses 36 and 37 of our text. There's a man named Joseph, Barnabas. He displays this gratitude for the grace of God. He sells a field. He gives the proceeds to the apostles so that the church can perform and and work out God's acts of mercy and compassion and care. The reason that he's mentioned here, it's it's not because his, his display was so over and above everyone else's. No, the point here is that he was doing what everybody else was doing. He was doing what the whole church was doing, but he's mentioned because of his later faithful work alongside the Apostle Paul. He reappears later in Acts. His sincere display is immediately contrasted with Ananias and Sapphira's hypocrisy, and that's our second point. So here's a sort of a summary of the whole matter. The church is doing what we saw in the first point, showing gratitude toward God, commitment to each other, selling property and possessions, and entrusting the proceeds to the church for distribution. Barnabas does this. He sells a field, gives the money to the apostles. Ananias and Sapphira do the same thing, sort of, but as we see in verse 2 of chapter 5, they, they sold a piece of property, but they kept part of the proceeds for themselves and then just took the rest of it to the apostles. <clears throat> and this is where maybe it seems a little bit strange to us. Peter immediately knows what's going on in Ananias' heart. Ananias brings what must have been a pretty sizable sum of money, and Peter's response is, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit, kept back some of the money? You know, at first you, you might go, well, that's, that's a bit extreme, isn't it? Why was it so wrong for Ananias and Sapphira to do what they were doing? Why was it wrong for them to keep back some of the money? Well, as we see, there there wasn't anything wrong with that. 
with wanting to keep anything back. Peter points this out in verse 4. He says, didn't that property belong to you before it was sold? Right? You're in charge of that. You can you know, do whatever you want with it. And after it was sold, that money was yours too. You can do what seems best to you with that money. Peter's saying it would have been perfectly acceptable for them to, to sell the property and decide, decide how much they should contribute and how much they should keep. It would have been fine for them to, to keep the field even. There's one commentator on this portion of text. He remarked how when he was going through this, he was reminded of a time when he was sitting in church and as the offerings were being collected, collection plate was going around and there was this lady who was sitting nearby and she only had one very large bill. And so when the deacons were coming through, she asked the deacon for change. You know, I'm going to give you this, but, you know, can I have, you know, this much back? And so the deacon, you know, willingly complied and and gave her what she asked for. And, you know, some of us might not want to do that. We'd be a little bit embarrassed uh, to be seen doing that. But this is actually exactly the point. The point that, that Peter's making here. This, this God-fearing lady had truthfully decided in her own heart what she wanted to give to the Lord with cheerfulness, with generosity in her heart and what she you know, needed to keep back. And she didn't feel the need to hide that. Like, that's beautiful. That's wonderful. And so if Ananias and Sapphira could have done the same thing, you know, decide in their own hearts, you know, this is what we want to give. This is how we want to show gratefulness to the Lord. This is how much we're going to keep. You know, what was the big problem then? Well, the problem was the hypocrisy and the deceit behind this, the insincerity of heart. Remember the point of what's going on here in the church. What is the underlying thread of everything that we see, the activity of the church? The Holy Spirit is powerfully at work in the people of God, okay? And the work of the Holy Spirit is being proven in the kind of life that's being lived. That is what's being testified to. Christ has saved these people. He has redeemed them. He is renewing them. And so now the deeds of the church, the way that the church is acting, these are the effects and the testimonies of the work of Christ. So Ananias and Sapphira are pretending to display the fruits of the Spirit while their hearts are insincere. They're making a false show of the power of the Holy Spirit while actually not being very interested in living that out fully. So they're acting as though God isn't real. They're acting as though God is not working in power. They're they're displaying those things but actually denying the reality of God's power. 
They're acting like they can deceive God. They're acting like God wouldn't even notice, as if he's blind to all of this. And that's the reason for Peter's, you know, what seems like incredibly harsh judgment. What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to man, but to God. So what do we make of that? What, what, do, you, what do we make of all of this? Well, this definitely is a, a warning for the people of God. A warning about living half-heartedly before God. Many places in God's word, especially through the mouths of his prophets, God communicates his disgust with the people who pay him lip service, who put on these shows, make it look like everything is fine, when in their hearts they're denying him. They're living for themselves. Lack of sincerity. What are our hearts like before our God? Do we have sincere thankfulness before him? And is that what governs the way we live? If we're ever willingly living contrary to, to God, living in some sin, you know, whatever it is, if we ever go about living in sin while presenting ourselves you know, before each other, and especially before God, as you know, much more sanctified than we actually are, when we're, re- when we're secretly harboring and cherishing something, you know, this favorite sin that we have, whatever it is, again, whatever it is, then we're actually acting in a similar way. We're denying the reality of God's power. We're denying the reality that, that Christ would govern our lives. The testimony that we're giving when we're doing this is, is that we don't believe that Jesus has delivered us from that thing. Again, whatever it is. We'd be guilty of the same lie. And, and this is something that we have to repent from. Every single one of us has some kind of struggle. Maybe all of us have little hypocrisies, or maybe even major ones, that, that we're living with. Is this something that we have to be terrified about? Should we fear that we have lied to the Holy Spirit and that we have condemned ourselves? We know that all all sin, all sin grieves the Holy Spirit. We know that if we continue in a certain way, unrepentant, then, then what are we proving and what are we declaring by our lives? We're showing that the power of the Holy Spirit is not what we are governed by. And we're displaying hearts that 
are unrepentant and, and unsanctified. And so, what do we do with that? What do I say to you about this this morning? Well, if this is you, if this is you, then while it is still today, repent. Turn back to God. Turn back to God and seek forgiveness and redemption from that, whatever it is. And if you truly seek that, then it is yours in the name of Jesus Christ. Confess your sins as he commands us to do, as he teaches us to do. Ask for your Father to bring to completion the work that he has begun in you. To grant not only forgiveness from your sins, but also holiness through Christ's blood and spirit. God will grant these things to anyone who believes. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. The same one that has been preached for 2,000 years. So Ananias and Sapphira... They both dropped dead when, when their sin was exposed. So this clearly shows they were, they were hardened in their sin. They had rejected God. They had given themselves over to Satan's influence. Is that warning you know, for us? You know, as though next time you have Lord's Supper and you, and you partake, even though you know you're, you probably shouldn't, are you, are you going to drop dead if you do that? Well, no, that's not what we should take away this morning. But there's a serious warning here. It's more serious, it's a more serious warning than simply dying, <laughs> passing out of this life. That's a temporary thing, right? <clears throat> now, there, there are immediate consequences for a sinful life, right? You know, going to prison for committing serious crimes or you might become an addict if if you're abusing drugs or alcohol you might get a disease if you're living in sexual immorality you might suffer hard relationships if if we if you fail to love as we ought but but these are not the great concerns by far the greatest concern is a matter of eternal life or death this isn't meant so that any of you begin to doubt whether God's salvation is for you. If you love the Lord and you repent from your sins, even though you slip, even though you stumble, if you have a broken heart and you truly seek your life outside of yourselves in Jesus Christ, you can be assured that you are forgiven. This is the cause for all of this thankfulness and generosity that we see. This is beautiful. But the warning, the real warning is for those who refuse to repent and who willfully continue to live in hypocrisy. You can have life in Jesus Christ. Do not reject him and go on with sin, as if he isn't powerful enough to cleanse you and restore you from this. This is language from Deuteronomy. Moses says to the people, choose life. Choose life today by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is yours for free in Jesus Christ. Very briefly, we'll see our third point, how fear and reverence is produced. 
in the church. So this tragedy has happened in the church. You know, the people have been experiencing this incalculable joy as the community of the redeemed people of God. And this must have been, you know, such a, it must have shook everybody's foundations. Verse 11 says that great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. So again, the central theme running through Acts is, at this point is that the Holy Spirit is powerfully at work in the church, that he's displaying wonderful things. And in a sense, you know, this is, this is brand new because his power has never been displayed so brightly among the people of God like it is at this time. But in another sense, it's absolutely the same story. God performs a mighty deed for the people of God, and they respond with faith. It's good for us to stop and pause and think about how, where we are you know, in, in all of this, in, in that sort of cycle that we would see happening among the people of God. Has the word of God come to us in the way that Paul writes that the word has come to, say, the church in, at Thessalonica? He writes in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5, this is the reason that he's giving thanks for them. It's because the word of God has come to them with power and with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. Is that how the word of God is received in St. Albert? Do we live every day marveling at the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the power that he displays among us in our lives of holiness? How is our fear and reverence and gratitude for God shown? How is it displayed? Right? That was the, the point of, of Paul's uh, you know, letter to, to the Thessalonians. He's saying, I'm hearing reports of the way that you're living. And I'm seeing the way that you guys are treating each other and the way that you're worshiping the Lord. And that is proof for me that when we preach to you, the word, it wasn't just received as a word, as a word of man, but it was received as the word of God with the Holy Spirit and with conviction. God is at work in your midst. He's, he's being very powerful among you. How is that happening here in this church Is it evident in our sincerity of worship? Is it clearly evident in the record of our giving, of our support for the church, the support of the needy among us? The difference between sincerity and hypocrisy was shown this morning in the, in the context of the church's willingness to properly handle their material blessings. Maybe for some of us, this is exactly what we needed to hear, and this is something that we had to have our hearts pricked over. Maybe for some of us, it's a completely different sort of hypocrisy to repent from. But for all of us, we must 
be continually shown and reminded of the magnitude of God's grace toward us in Jesus Christ. And understand the seriousness of God's work among us. It's a very serious thing to be in a relationship with God. Our lives should have that holy fear, not terror, not terror, but holy reverence for the God who lives in us and among us. This is the church, people of God. This is the place where God is at work through his word and spirit. He's working here with his spirit with power, and we have to acknowledge it. We have to see it, take it very seriously. God is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. But he's also your loving Father through Jesus Christ for his sake, and he will be at work in our midst by the power of his Spirit, making our hearts overflow with love and gratitude. And may that be our prayer. Amen.